From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. But let's get right into it this morning. Uh, my son, Elijah, he's, he's turning six in a few days, asks a lot of questions. And I know kids ask a lot of questions, but I feel like, for whatever reason, he just asks more than most. He asks all sorts of kind of questions. What are we doing today? The moment he opens his eyes and sees you, and you're still not even awake, and he's asking you, what's, what's happening today? Buddy, I'm not awake yet. I need time. Okay, two minutes later, what are we going to do today? You're going to school, and I'm going to love it. <laughs> what are we doing today? How is this made is a, is a big one. How is this made? He's so inquisitive, right? He's so curious on how things are structured. Can you, can you make one of these as he points to some intricate piece of technical device that I have no idea how it was constructed and probably took like NASA collectively to come up with to, to design and make. Uh, why do you want to make one of those? Because I want to make a robot that obeys all my commands. Well, I can't help you with that, buddy. And then he asked this question, following usually that, why? Parents remember that question, right? Why? Why? Well, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't make it. Why is one of those questions that if you get asked enough why questions in the course of the day, you, you start to get a little twitch in your eye, right? It's kind of like, you ask me one of those questions and something's going to blow up inside my brain. I don't know what it is. I, I understand why he doesn't know why. He's six, right? He doesn't have the framework to, to build off of. He literally, literally does not understand. But sometimes I don't understand. Sometimes it doesn't immediately register to me why he doesn't get it. Because often... I assume, because it's common sense to me, that it would just be common sense, right? But he legit does not have any, he, it's like a blank canvas for some things. And do you know what? We can assume, as, as people in the church, as individuals, we can assume that we know sound biblical doctrine. In the same way that I assume he should know the answer to this question, we can assume that we know the answer to the question. Doctrine is a set of beliefs, biblical doctrine is the way the central themes of God's revelation in Scripture are summarized and taught. And you can assume you know sound doctrine and that what you believe is true. But is what you believe specifically about the fundamental truths in the Bible actually what the Bible teaches about those truths? For example, that what we believe about God, is it actually what the Bible teaches about God, or in reality, is it just a, a figment of our imagination, something that we've constructed because of half-truths or subjectivity, which would mean that in reality, we're not worshiping the God of the Bible, we're worshiping something we've made up. Ooh, we're getting deep, Pastor Call, really quick. So knowing biblical doctrine is important. It's the foundation for our faith. Imagine building a house with no foundation. It may look like a house, it may feel like a house, you could even decorate it like a house, but it's not going to last as long as a house would make, it would last. Because there's no foundation. In the same way, biblical doctrine provides us with and helps with a strong foundation as we move forward in our faith. So we're back to school in a new series today looking at the basics of faith. Looking at the basics of what we believe about faith. Things like God and, and the Bible and humanity and the church. Because these things have a huge, uh, huge implications on how we live our lives on how we live our lives. For instance, what you think, and I've shared this before, what you think about God impacts how you relate to God. 
And what we think about the church impacts how we relate to the church. So we're going to unpack some stuff today and, 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 and over the course of the next few weeks, going back to some basics. And I'm going to assume that you don't know, even though I know some of you know, so this might be a fresher today and, and the weeks leading on for some of us, but I want to assume that we don't know, okay, this morning, so it might be very basic for you. It's like, as all of our kids, for those of you who have kids or have gone back to school in September, we're, we're literally going back to school. So sit up straight, grab your backpack, your notepad your ruler, your Bible, and let's learn. We're going to unpack as much as possible in the time that we have the Trinity this morning. We're looking at the Trinity this morning. So by your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray one more time, then we'll get into this. Father God, we are grateful that we have your word. We have your revealed word to us that teaches us truths. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would not just be mindless believers, Lord, but that we would, be, we would endeavor to become people who know, God, what your word teaches. We would be people who endeavor, God, to know what is, what is truth, Lord, and what your Bible teaches to be true, Lord. We would not just assume that we know, Father God, but we would, we would study, Father God, so that we could grow and we could learn, God, and we can create a foundation, God, for our faith. So teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray, that as I share that you would speak, and over the course of this series, would you open our eyes and teach us something new, maybe refresh, God, some, some truths, God, we've heard before, but help us, God, to not be people who just assume or to be people who just decide in our own minds, Lord, but actually look at something, Father God, and learn something in the name of Jesus. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a, I have a lot of scripture um, for us this morning. That, well, I have some scripture. It, it might seem a lot more than, than normal. But if you follow, there's some huge implications at the end of this. But what if I told you this morning, what if I told you that the things that we innately long for inside of us are actually reflections of what, if, what is found in the Trinitarian God of the Bible? Love. Community, diversity, selflessness, humility. What if I told you that those things are things that we innately long for because we are created and designed by a God who in and of himself is those things? And, and it's not because they're, we crave them because in our sinfulness we lack them. But we are created in the image of a God who by nature is them. Someone once said, our longings are in fact by design longings for the Trinitarian God of the Bible in a world that is a reflection of the Trinity. God exists in himself in perfect love because God is one God in three persons. It's going to be like a little bit of a teaching sermon this morning. God is one God in three persons. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word God there in the original language is Elohim, which is a plural form of God. It actually literally translates gods. But because of the word created in the original language is a singular form, it basically means that God, although it's not multiple gods, it's speaking as God, the one God, as plural. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. So all throughout Bible, all throughout the Bible and all throughout scriptures is this idea that there's a plurality to God. There's a plurality to God, and we call this the Trinity. Other terms you'll likely hear, and you've probably heard if you've been around church long enough, are the Godhead is a, is a, is a big one. The, Trini- the triune God, the Trinitarian God, the threefold unity. Simply put, the Trinity is a term used to describe the doctrine of God's being. Now, this, this doctrine actually developed as the early church were wrestling with how to, how to understand the relationship between Jesus and God the Father, or Jesus and God throughout the scriptures. So the word itself is not actually found in the Bible. The word itself is not found in the Bible. It was actually first used by one of the early church fathers named Tertullian to express the essence of God. And then since then, it's become kind of our shorthand for, for God's nature, that God is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relationship with each other. You tracking? This is, this is a whole message like this, so get ready. <laughs> We're back to school. The Trinity simply means there is one God, God is three persons, and each one is fully God. Three in one. It kind of sounds like a head and shoulders shampoo commercial, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't because that doesn't do it justice. That doesn't do it justice. And there's, there's been some, some illustrations and some um, images that we've used as the church over time to really grasp the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, often they're taught in Sunday school, or you're likely taught in Sunday school, or someone used them as an example to illustrate it for you. I got a few for us this morning. But none of them really grasp you, and you've probably heard some of these before if you've been around long enough. Some have said the Trinity is like the three-leaf clover. Uh, each leaf, each of the three leaves enjoys the same stem. But you, you, can't, you can separate a three-leaf clover, and they still remain clovers. You can't separate the Trinity. You can't separate the Trinity. And each person of the Trinity is fully God. The, the one leaf of the clover is not fully the clover. Some have said it's like the three states of water, liquid, vapor, and solid. In its natural form, liquid, uh, water is a liquid. And then if you boil it, it turns into a vapor. And if you freeze it, it turns into a solid. But the problem with that is, to express it in the Trinity, is that water is just, these are just different modes of, of water, right? Water isn't at the same time vapor, solid, and liquid. But, but God, the Trinity, is at all times each of those things. Some have said it's like three parts of an egg, right? The shell, the yolk, and egg whites. But these three you can separate as well. I can, I can crack an egg. Some of you probably cracked some eggs this morning, right? I can crack an egg, and you can separate the yolk from the egg whites. And, but each of those things, you can't, one, you can't separate the trinity, and each of those things don't fully represent or aren't fully an egg. A shell is not fully an egg, right? The, the yolk is not fully an egg. The egg white is not fully an egg. How about fire? A fire must have three things to exist, heat, fuel, and oxygen. But you take one away, and the fire ceases to exist, and each part in itself is not fully fire. Heat is not fully fire. 
If it was, we would have a problem in the wintertime, right? Some have said or used the imagery of a man who is both father, brother, and son. At all times, I'm those things. I'm a father right now, I'm a brother right now, and I'm a son. And I'm one person. So that's probably pretty close. But what I don't like about that is I being a father, brother, and son, and still only one person, yet the Trinity is one God and three distinct persons. The closest one I've found, in my opinion, and maybe the best example or, or the, the best reflection of the future. The past is distinct from the others, the future is distinct, and the present is distinct, yet all of them and each of them is still time itself. But I think that all of those examples break down at some point, and I heard it expressed this way, that this is probably the, the clearest way to understand and picture the, the triune God, the Trinitarian God, that God is one in being, but three in person. So a being is the quality or essence that makes you what you are, right? The, the, a being, not a bean, not talking about lima beans, jelly beans. A being is the quality or essence that makes you what you are. A person is the quality or essence that makes you whom you are. So God is one in being, three in person. So what kind of being am I? I have to really emphasize that because sometimes I say being. What kind of being am I? What kind of being am I? A human being. And we all passed the test this morning. (laughs) I'm a human being and I'm one person. Who am I? I am a human being, but who am I? I am Carl. I am Carl Patterson. We are all one in being. We are all one person, right? I, I am a human being, and I am one in person. God is one in being, but he's three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is nothing on earth, on earth like that, though we've tried. There are images, but nothing truly captures the image or the uh, essence of God. So what... And where does Scripture say, or have to say about all this? First, I got three main ideas for you, three main points. Is first, Scripture is clear that there is only one God and there is no one like him. There's only one God and there is no one like him. Our boys are really into ninjas, uh, Lego ninjas and all sorts of ninjas. If it's a ninja, they love it. And often, I, I, I either encounter them fighting over who is the red ninja. It seems to be the red. Sometimes it's the blue. But one of them will come upstairs pouting, angry. Usually it's Joshua. Tears in his eyes saying, Eli said that. Like they're getting at that stage where they're getting physical, which is both exciting and scary for me as a dad. <laughs> I don't know why it's exciting. It just seems exciting. And, and it's usually over them going, I'm the red ninja. No, I'm the red ninja. And I'm like, boys, this is my response. I'm like, boys, you're pretending. Both of you can be the red ninja. And no, (laughs) there's only one red ninja. There is only one God. And the scripture is clear that there is no one like him. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 39 says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below, and there is no other. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. John 17, verse 3. 
Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. Now this is important because many people have tried to refute the doctrine of the Trinity by saying that it basically teaches there are three gods, that there are three gods, um, or that it's a form of pluralism, but that's not what the Scripture says. The Scriptures say that there is one God and there is no one like Him. Now, there's always a tendency for the threeness of God to be overemphasized, and that can lead to, to heresy. Heresy is basically a belief that is, that is contrary to sound doctrine, sound doctrine. One of the major heresies of the Trinity is tritheism. Tritheism, so tritheism, right? God, belief in God, tri. There are three, basically there are three distinct gods. That's what it teaches. Tritheism teaches that the Trinity is three equal independent beings, each of whom is, is divine. It stresses the plurality of the Godhead. Mormonism or Mormons believe that the Trinity is three separate gods. The Father is one exalted man who became the God of this world, and he with his wife had the first spirit child, which is Jesus, and another spirit child, which is the Holy Spirit. They teach that none of them are eternal, and none of them are almighty God, that there are many gods of many worlds. Those are just the gods of this world. But the Bible is clear that there is only one God, which means... That if we believe this, if we believe that the, what the Bible says to be true, and we're going to talk about all about the Bible in another, another, another time in this series. But if we believe this, then what do we make of the other gods that are worshipped by other religions? If we believe what the, that the Bible says is true, that there is only one God and there's none besides him, there's only one God, then what do we make of the other religions of faith that teach and worship these other gods? The Bible actually reveals that these other gods are powerful fallen angels who rebelled against God, who hates Jesus, who seeks worship, performs signs and wonders to deceive people into believing their gods. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this, Do I mean, verse 19, do I mean that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. It says the sacrifice of pagans, pagans basically one who believes various uh, beliefs, are offered to demons, not to God. And do I, I do not want you to be participants with demons. In other words, what he's saying is that behind the idol or the gods are demons. Practically speaking, this means that there are powerful demons, and some of the Bible speaks to these, like Baal, or Moloch, or Mammon, which is money. Or if we get a little bit more into today, Brahman, Allah, Mother Nature. What if... Behind those things was something that is working against God for the purpose of leading people away from the one true God. Because if we believe what the Bible says to be true, there is only one God, and there is none like him. There has not been one form before him or after him. And our temptation as, as people is to divide our worship and accept these other gods as equally worthy of worship. Or we'll say things, which is usually an influence of postmodernism, that says, well, whatever you believe to be true is good for you, and whatever I believe to be true is good for me. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Or we'll say things like, well, I actually believe God is like this, which is fine to say things like that, but if what we believe doesn't line up with Scripture, then what we believe is not biblical, and we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. We're worshiping a God of our imagination right? And I think we can all fall into that trap because we're thinkers, 
right? We've been thinking since the day we, we were born. We've been, we've, been, we've been wrestling with stuff, and we've been figuring out stuff. We think all the time, right? As, as kids, that's why my sons ask me all, all these crazy questions that drive me bonkers half the time, right? Because they're trying to figure out stuff. They're trying to think about stuff. And we're thinkers, but often we just let our thinking go. We say, this, this seems to make sense. This, this, this fits. I think God. Unless it lines up, then it's not the God of the Bible, and it's something else. There's only one God, and the Trinity is God. Secondly, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally declared throughout Scripture to be God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally declared throughout Scripture to be God. John chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope throughout the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John chapter 1, verse 1, speaking of Jesus, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite verses, says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the Old Testament, you'll often see that also the Spirit is given or, or described as having attributes of God, like creator and eternal and all-powerful and all-knowing. But all are, are shown throughout Scripture to be equally God. So my boys are playing ninjas. And one is saying that the red ninja is the best, and one is saying that the blue ninja is the best. And they're saying, well, that's fine, but mine's more powerful, and I'm more powerful. And so I'll come in, and I'll say, boys, 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 all ninjas are equally ninja. <laughs> your ninja is not more powerful than this ninja, and your ninja is not more powerful than the red All Scripture shows that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all equally God. There's one God. And all of them, the Father, Son, and Spirit, are declared to be equally God. Now, while there's a tendency for the threeness of God to be overemphasized, there's also a tendency for the oneness of God to be overemphasized. But that leads to a couple heresies as well. The first is modalism. Since God is only one God, the three persons are ways that God expresses himself. That he expresses himself. This is also known as oneness theology. That God is successively Father and then, and then Son and then the Holy Spirit, not simultaneously Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Father and the Son and the Spirit that teaches are three modes or manifestations of the one God. Think of water. right? Water, if I can take a bowl of water and I, and I freeze it, it becomes a solid. It's, the water is expressing itself now as a solid. If I boil it, it becomes the vapor. But it's all water. That's what modalism teaches. Now, you have to be careful with this because there's even some Pentecostal denominations that have adopted this doctrine. They affirm that God is one and that Jesus is fully God, but they deny that there are three divine persons. But Jesus' own baptism shows quickly how this falls apart. I'm just using this example today because we have a baptism. I think it's perfect. Matthew 3, verse 16, I already shared this. says, as soon as Jesus, the Son, was baptized... 
He went up out of the water. At that moment, he's still there. Heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So you see the Son, and you see the Spirit. They're both there at the same time. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, God the Father, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The second heresy is Arianism. Arianism is a teaching about the identity of Jesus. Because God is one, Jesus could not truly be God. The, the Son is a created creature, not divine. Jehovah Witnesses teach this. They, they believe that, that Jesus is, is witness, um, is a created creature. But God is one God, and the scriptures show that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equally God. God is one God, and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally God. And finally, thirdly, though one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct persons. So my boys, when they're fighting about ninjas, like to remind me that he's the blue ninja, and I am the red ninja, all while wearing brown cardboard. <laughs> he is the blue, I am the red. They're distinct, right? The, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, but they are distinct persons. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I, the Son, will ask the Father to send you another John 16, 7, but truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the app will not send me to you. I will send him to you. 2 Corinthians verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 1 John verse 2, verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's important to know that the Spirit is not just the force of God or the power of God, but a person of God. He can be grieved and he can be insulted and he can be resisted. So each of the persons of the Godhead are distinct persons and each has distinct roles. The Father is the one that, that designed and organized how mankind would be redeemed. He set up into motion a complex set of events and actions and prophecies which culminated in the life and death of Jesus. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent the Son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to some sonship. So the Father set in motion. The Son carried out the plan. He followed the Father's instruction to come to earth as a sacrifice for sins, taking our place. He's the Savior. John chapter 6 says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who sees to it that everyone feels the call of, of God's saving grace, and he transforms those who put their, their faith in Jesus, transform their hearts. John 16 verse 8 says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So the, the Father is one God, the Father, or sorry, God is one God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are all equally God, and they're distinct persons with distinct roles. And as their hierarchy, yes, Jesus says things like this, the, the Father is greater than I, but it's not referring to, to being, it's referring to role. The Father is not greater than Jesus in terms of being, because they're equally fully God. 
The being is equal. The role is the. The God of the Bible is a triune God. Are you still awake? Are you still with me? Okay, it's school, right? We're back to school on this. Now, here's the huge implications of this. Huge implications of this. To believe otherwise, to, to believe otherwise, if we don't actually believe this, then we don't believe the God of the Bible. We don't believe the God of the Bible. We don't believe in the Christian God, which means we're not worshiping the God of the Bible, which means we're not worshiping the Christian God, which means we're worshiping something else, either a figment of our imagination, something we've conjured up in our, in our mind, or another God, which the Bible would say would be a fallen angel. Deep, right? Heavy. So who do you worship? Who do you worship? Now, what does this matter anymore? What does it matter if we know about the Trinity? What does it matter if we know about, about God outside of what I've just expressed? What we think about God will determine how we relate to God. And what we think about God will not only determine how we relate to God, but will determine how we relate to one another, how we relate to one another. If God is eternally one God and three persons, then God is fundamentally, catch this, if you can get nothing else but this today, this is good, okay? God is fundamentally in an eternal relationship and community of love at the core of his very nature, which means that God is a relational being in relationship in his nature. There has never been a time where God has been alone. Before anything was ever created, before the heavens and angels and his eternal throne was created, God existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. He has always been in community. He has always been in relationship. He has always been in love because it is his nature. He has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. So relationship, togetherness, community, diversity, love, humility, selflessness have always been at the center of the very being of God. And since to be in relationship with him, to exhibit the same character and nature that he exhibits in himself. And to model as a church a reflection of the nature of God. So we learn in the Trinity, we learn in God, we learn in his nature what it means to be a community as a church that is loving, that is selfless, that is, hum that is humbling, that is, that is submissive that is diverse. We, we seek to be a church that is unified as one by diverse in roles because God is one by diverse in roles. Right? We seek to be a people that exhibit diversity and submissiveness and community and love because that is God's, not what God does. That's not what God requires of us. That's who God is. Are you catching that? It's not just something that God decided when he created. It's going to be, I'm creating you because I want relationship with you. He's like, I'm creating you because I exist in relationship and I want to share this with you. I want to share what I have with you. I, want to, I don't want to share what I have. I want to share what I am with you. It's not just, I created this and I want you to be a part of this and we're going to, we're going to start this thing called the church and it's going to be great and we're going to be together and everyone's going to be at home and it's going to, and it's going to be community and we're all going to have a bang old time. He's not saying that. He's saying, this is what we need to do because this is who I am. Are you tracking? I am love. I am community. I am diversity. 
I am humility. I am selflessness. All the things that we innately long for, God is. And all the things that we should reflect and do, God is. So why do we as a church, why does the Bible talk often about, about being unified? Because God is unity in himself. And anytime we choose to, to divide ourselves or be divisive, we are going against not just humanity, we're going against the very nature of God. Life himself, he is community. He is relationship. And listen, I'm, I'm introverted, right? I like to be alone. I, you, you, at the end of the day, you put me by myself and I'm in my zone. I'm just like, yes, right? I, I, I like that, but I can't stay there because that's not how I was created. I can't stay there. We can't do life alone. We can't do life alone. We need one another and we need to be unified. Why? Because God is unity, because God is community, because God is relation, in relationship in himself. And we've been created in his image. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-person life is to be played out in each of us. We learn about relationships and, and church community, about being united as one, yet diverse in roles because God is one and being the three persons. We learn about true love, that love exists in selflessness and, and, and humble, submissive community because God is one being in three persons. So let me ask you this and then we'll pray. I know it's, a, it's heavy stuff, lots of scripture. Do you believe in this God? Because we do. It's who we worship at Parkway Church. It's, it's why we talk about the Holy Spirit as God. It's why we talk about Jesus as God. It's why we believe that we can connect with him relationally as we gather. We're not just singing empty songs. We're not just... We're not just hearing an empty word, but we're engaging in a relationship with God and his presence as we come. It's why when we meet for prayer, we don't just say empty words and then go, but we can believe that in that moment that he is there in our midst. That's why Jesus said, I'm there with you. When two or three are gathered, I'm there with you. That's why. That's who we worship. It's why we believe that each of us in this di is diverse in our design. It's why we believe each of us have, have a purpose have a reason that we exist that is different from one another, yet we come together to form this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. We are one body with many parts. It's why we seek to do life with one another, because it's core. So let me say this, and then I'm going to pray and close. May we be a community. May we be a body, a church, who worships the one God in three persons, but exhibits and reflects his nature in our community, in ourselves. Relationship, love, Diversity, community, humility, submissiveness, selflessness. Amen? So, Father God, we're thankful, Lord. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've revealed yourself in your word, Lord. I'm thankful for the many people who over the centuries, God, have, have thought through, have looked at, have examined, God, what your word teaches about your nature. And I pray, Father God, that as we've looked this morning, although, God, it's a teaching style of a message, Lord, that something would sink deep into our hearts about your nature, about your being, Father God, about who you are, not only so that we can worship you adequately, Father God, not only so we can know you more intimately, Father God, but so we can reflect, Father God, your nature, so that we can be people, Father God, who seek to be unified, who seek to be one in love, Lord who seek to be diverse but one in, in, in community, Father God. And I pray you that we are in this amazing dance and, and drama of this threefold, Father, as personal life that we have with you. So bless every person here today, God. 
I pray that you bless us in such a way that we would know, God, that you are a relational being. You've created us in relationship, Lord, and that we would seek to be people, Father God, who strive to reflect that nature. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.